0: I am so glad that you are here this morning. So grateful for Greg and those that lead us and singing and you men for taking up the offering and Mark for hitting record. On the recorder, I am so grateful that you have chosen to spend your Sunday morning here with us here at First Baptist Church, Wellston. I hope that you brought a Bible with you this morning, something that you may open up or something you may turn on. We'll take it either way, but I hope you'll join me in First Samuel chapter 15. First Samuel chapter... 15. I hope also when you came in, you got a bulletin from Ron or maybe picked one up on the table. On the back of that, there'll be some notes that will help guide our time through the Word this morning. And then also there's just some information on the inside of it. And so I'm going to mention it again at the end of the service, but just remind you, after this morning service, um, they're going to be having a benefit dinner for the Davis family up at the cafeteria. And so Research has said that 100% of us are most likely going to eat lunch somewhere today. So I would just encourage you and invite you to go up there and help support the Davis family and help just support um, what they are trying to do to support that family in this community. So if you would be willing to go up there and have lunch, um, there's going to be some treats that Ron's going to be auctioning off, and you may want to help support in that way. But just let you know that is going on. And so in light of that, I know that you're sitting here thinking, "All right, Spence, it's a race to beat the Methodist up the hill." So You listen, I'll stalk fast, you listen fast, and we will uh, get up there and get to the front of the line for this afternoon's lunch. So 1 Samuel 15, we are in the second Sunday of what I am just kind of calling some Advent messages, just talking about... Um, This time of the season and we look to this Christmas coming up in a couple of weeks and we think about this idea when we celebrate Christmas, what are we doing? We're celebrating the coming of Christ, the incarnation of our Savior. We're celebrating the time when God sent his son to this earth to begin this life, this sinless life on earth to ultimately die, not for his sins but for our sins and to make the way, pave the way for us to be forgiven reconciled back to God and so we ask the question all the time is we realize that we have this time of the year as we recognize when Jesus comes but we need to ask ourselves the question why do we need a savior a savior denotes we need to be saved And in this time and this season we're in, sometimes we forget that we need to be saved. Sometimes we can think more of ourselves than we should or we can think better of ourselves than we should and we forget why we need a Savior. So during this season of Advent, I just want to call us back to remember why we need a Savior. Why should we be excited about this season? Why is this season so important to us every single year? It's not because of the gifts. It's not because of the gift exchanges. It's not because of the decorations. It's not because of the lights. It's not because of uh, of the the different holiday aspects. We get excited because we need a Savior. And this season marks the coming of our Savior. The Sunday school answer would be simply... Why do we need a Savior? We need a Savior because of sin. So somebody may say, Well, I have sin, so therefore I need a Savior. But it'd be too easy just to leave it at that. And so these next few Sundays, these next couple of Sundays, and this Sunday and the last Sunday, I want to just answer the question, Why we need a Savior? We need a Savior because of sin. But what is such a big deal with sin? Why is sin such a big deal? So last Sunday we were looking at <clears throat> the idea of sin separation and what sin does to us, how it separates us from God. And this morning out of 1 Samuel 15, I want us to see the danger of sin is the deception of sin. And how sin will deceive you and I to make us think wrong things about God. To think us, make us think wrong things about ourselves. And to make us think wrong things about the world in which we're living in. So in 1 Samuel 15, to kind of catch you up to where we are at after God brought the people out of Egypt and brought them to the promised land, he said, okay, I'm going to set you up. I am going to be your God. And so during the time of after Joshua had... In it and that leadership in it. and then judges opens up in the Old Testament and talks about how God then was leading his people through a series of judges. He was raised up a man or, or even a woman. He would raise them up. They would lead God's people for a period of time. That person would fade in the sunset he would bring someone else up. Well they got to the end of the, ter- the term of the judges. The period of the judges and they came to Samuel who's the, the last judge and they said we want a king and Samuel said no you don't want a king and they said oh no no we want a king and he says no you don't want a king and they said no we want a king. King, give us a king. And so God said, All right, Samuel, go and anoint Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel. Then after Saul came, who? Oh, my gracious. David, thank you, after Saul came David, then after David came Solomon, and then after Solomon, the kingdom was divided. And then you had Rehoboam and Jeroboam, and they all go off and they get scattered, and that's where you had the division coming to. So here in 1 Samuel 15, we are seeing the beginning, if you will, the, the first starting of Saul's leadership and Saul's reign as the king of Israel. And so when you come into this story, even though Samuel said, you don't want a king. And even though God said, you know what, Samuel, they're rejecting me and they're not rejecting you, I'll give them a king if that's what they want. And even though Saul was a little bit reluctant to be the king, he's the man. And he's in charge. So now God is speaking to Samuel or speaking to Saul through Samuel. So when you come into 1 Samuel 15, where I hope you're joining me at this morning... We begin the picture, the image that comes up is Samuel is that last judge to help lead the people. Saul is the first king that had been set apart to lead the people into the future. And then you have the Lord speaking to Saul through Samuel. So First Samuel chapter 15 and verse 1 and listen to what the word of God says. And Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, Israel. Now therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go, strike Amalek, and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now this really doesn't have anything to what we're going to, the primary thrust of what we're looking at, but I, I suspect that some of us in this room are going to get hung up right here. Some in this room are going to think, okay Spence, I don't, I'm not going to listen to another word you said because I'm just stuck on this idea of what Samuel said to Saul. Do not spare them, but kill both man, woman, child, and infant, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. Let me give you two thoughts when we think about this text in light of where we're at today. Let me give you two thoughts, and then we're going to move on. And I don't, want to, I don't want to labor this too long, but let me just give you a couple of thoughts. First thing is, is many times in our humanity, we add a contraction that then leads to a contradiction. We add a contraction that then leads to a contradiction. What do you mean, Spence? Well, a lot of times you come to the text of the Word of God, and you will read something like this, where God says, do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant. And you come to this and say, well, God God." God doesn't exhibit mercy to them. Or God isn't merciful to them. And we add that contraction of the is not or the does not. And then next thing you know, we find ourselves saying, well, if God is a loving God, then God, why would God do that? Maybe think about it in a different way. Why does God show mercy to anyone? Why does God love anyone? Why is God good. See, sometimes we come and we add the contraction and then it becomes a contradiction and we think that the problem is with God when many times the problem is with us. Maybe put you another thought. Sometimes when we come to a passage like this, we start with the wrong W. Think back to your educational days, you had the five W's. You had the, the who, the what, the when, the where, and the why. And so many times we would explain whether it's reporting or whether it's thinking about a situation or reading a newspaper article, you would have the five W's and you would look at it that way. And so many times we come to the Word of God, we start with the why when we should start with the who. So if you look back up there in verse 1, Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me. So he identifies who is doing the talking, who is doing the directing, who is the one in charge. It is the Lord. So when you and I get down to verse 3 and we say why would God do that? Why would that be in God's plan? I have asked, I have had people ask me in the past, okay if God is such a loving God, then why does God do this? Sometimes we start off with the wrong W. We start off with the why when we should start with the Who? If it is God, then that really sums it up in the question of who has the authority, who has say so. So if you get hung up on this verse, this verse 3, let me just encourage you. Don't add the contraction and don't begin with the wrong W. But then he goes on. So Samuel goes on speaking to Saul there in verse 4. And he gets down. He gets down to what? The meat of what I want to focus on this morning. And he talks to Saul about what God wants him to do. What does he say? He said, go and destroy the Amalekites. So, verse 4, so Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telene. Two hundred thousand men on foot and ten thousand men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. And then Saul said to the Kenites, Go depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites, and Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is the east of Egypt. And he took Haggag. The king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless they devoted to destruction. I want to stop here because when we think about what sin does to us and we think about the effect that sin has in our lives and primarily what I want you to see with me this morning is the deception of sin. Sometimes we are unaware and sometimes we miss the reality that the deception of sin is such that it redefines obedience. The problem with sin, the problem with sin in our lives and the deception, the deceptive work of sin is it redefines obedience. It redefines what it means to live in obedient faithfulness to God. And that's the effect of sin has on us. God comes through his word. God comes through a preacher. God comes through a speaker or through a book or however God comes through his spirit and speaks to you and you and I say this is what we're supposed to do. But then somewhere in between God saying it and us doing it, we then redefine what it means to be obedient. Where do you get that from, Spence? Well, Samuel said to Saul, destroy him. So Saul summoned the people, but then you get down there to verse 6 and it says that he went in there and they destroyed all the worthless things in verse 9. But they didn't destroy the good things and they didn't destroy all the people because they kept the king of lives. So many times in our humanity and so many times in our Christian lives, we assume the right to edit. We think that we determine what God's word says and what God's word means and how God's word applies to me. We think I'm the one that determines what it looks like to be a good Christian. We talked about that this morning in Sunday school. The legalistic idea. And that's really where a lot of that stems from. Because someone steps up and says, this is what it means to be a good Christian. You got to keep your hair cut short. You got to vote for, you got to, you got to root for the cowboys. You got to drive a Chevrolet. And you got to drink Dr. Peppers. And as long as you do that, you are a good, good Christian. And then you have this other crowd over here that says, oh, no, 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 no. Everybody knows that all the safe people are University of Texas fans. And everybody knows, everybody knows that you drink Coca-Cola's. And everybody knows that you drive Ford's. And you have this crowd over here. And what happens is, is we start becoming legalistic from one side or the other. You ever thought about it like this? Everybody is legalistic on one degree or another. (laughs) Either you're legalistic in one flavor or you're legalistic in a different flavor. But every single one of us are legalistic to one degree or another. But the problem is when we come to the Word of God, so many times we are tempted to redefine obedience. So we come in and say, well, you know what? I know God's Word says this, but I'm going to contextualize it. I am going to edit it. I am going to make it fit my certain context. That's what Saul does here in this text. God speaks through Samuel to Saul, says, Go, wipe them out, destroy everything. Saul and the people come down. They attack them. They defeat them. They destroy most of it. But they said, you know what? We're going to leave this alive. We're going to take possession of this. They redefine what it meant to be obedient to God. And you may say, well, how do we do that today, Spence? Well, the way that we often do it today is that we compare to excuse. What do you mean, Spence? So many times a day, you and I will look around, and I will look at Steve Wilson, and I will say, well, as long as I'm doing more than Steve Wilson, then that means I'm good. And I compare myself to Steve Wilson, or I compare myself to a Van Swafford, or I compare myself to a Chad Payton, and I say, well, as long as I'm doing more than them, then that means I'm okay. I excuse away my faults because I'm comparing myself to the people around me. The danger with that is that we were never called to compare ourselves to other people around us. We're called to compare ourselves to our Savior Jesus Christ. And the standard by which I'm living is not to be a better Christian than Greg or Brandon. My calling is to reflect the image of Jesus Christ, to reflect the ministry of Jesus Christ. So therefore, that is my standard. And some people may come back and people say, well, there's no way you can be sinless, Spence. There's no way you can be blameless. There is no way that you can be just like Jesus. I know that. That's why I need Jesus. Because I fall short because I come up lacking because of my faults but just because I am not Jesus doesn't mean that I get a pass of following and obeying what Jesus calls me to do so here in this passage Samuel comes to Saul and he says alright Saul this is what God wants you to do he wants you to go wipe him out destroy him just put everything to utter destruction and Saul comes in and goes you know what I've got a better plan I'm gonna do this thing my way you ever been there? Where God leads you in a certain direction and you try to modify it. You get an assignment from the teacher and it says 12 point font and you start playing with the 12.25 font. One inch margins. We can nudge those a little bit. We start, we start manipulating what it means to be Obedient start redefining what it means to be faithful to God. So not only does he redefine obedience, but then, then, if that's not bad enough, look at verse 10. So the story continues. You get to verse 10 and it says, The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. And so Samuel, verse 12, Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, and turned and passed, and went on down to Gilgal. Verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be to you, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Well, Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. There's another way that sin so often deceives us in our lives today, not just by redefining obedience, but by rejecting responsibility. The problem with sin in our lives is it rejects responsibility. Where do you get that from, Spence? Well, notice how the language shifted from I to they. If you look back up in verse 9, it says, But Saul and the people spared Agag and some of the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fattened calves. But then you get down to verse 13. Listen to how Saul is responding to Samuel. He said, Blessed be you to the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. So Saul is saying, look, Samuel, look what I did. I did what God told me to do. And then as soon as Samuel says, well, then why do I hear sheep and oxen in the background? You see the language of what Saul does next? Saul said, verse 15, they have brought them from the Amalekites. In other words, what is taking place here in this text is that Saul is wanting to take credit when he thinks it's good. But as soon as responsibility for fault starts to be handed out, Saul starts saying, oh, well, I didn't do it. They did it. And we reject responsibility. In other words, our faults become someone else's faults. How many times do you see children in the immaturity and you say, why'd you do that? Well, they did that. Well, I'm not talking about what they did. I'm talking about what you did. And it's so often that when we start asking, when we start asking who is to blame, all you do is you see the fingers pointing back, forth, back, forth. Nobody wants to take responsibility. You think about our government right now and you think about politics right now and it's the Democrats' fault, it's the Republican fault. It's the Democrats' fault, it's the Republican fault, it's the Democrats' fault, it's the Republican fault. Back and forth, back and forth. No one wants to take responsibility. And that's what sin does. Sin rejects responsibility. So here in this passage this morning, Samuel comes to Saul and says, what are you doing? God gave you instructions. And instead of Saul coming into Samuel and saying, you're right, I'm wrong, I've sinned, Saul rejects responsibility. He rejects responsibility for his spiritual leadership, for his spiritual failure. He rejects responsibility for his sin. So what does he do? He said it's the people's fault. The people did this. The people are doing that. It it, it makes us think back to Genesis 3 in the Garden of Eden. God tells Adam, Adam, don't eat of the fruit of the tree. If you eat it, you're going to die. Along comes Eve, and you can just assume that Adam told Eve, we're not supposed to eat of this fruit. And then a little bit time later, here comes the snake. The snake comes in, the snake gets Eve, she eats of it, then Adam eats of it, and then what happens? They both realize they were naked, they hit themselves, and here comes God. And who is God calling for? He's not calling for the snake. He's not calling for Eve. Who's he calling for? He's calling for Adam. Why is he calling for Adam? He's calling for Adam because God had created Adam first. And God had set it up in the Garden of Eden for Adam to be the spiritual leader. And to be ultimately responsible for he and his wife in that marital union. And may I add, God has not changed his mind since then. And so he's coming and he's looking for Adam to say, Adam you doing what I called you to do? Are you doing what I told you to do? And then notice what Adam does. As soon as God asks Adam, did you eat of the fruit? What does Adam do? Adam looks at Eve and goes, it's her fault. And she's like, no, 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 it's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's the snake's fault. And all of a sudden you had finger pointing back and forth. You think it's changed today? It hasn't changed today nothing it is still the same in our sinfulness and in our deception we try to reject responsibility and he even goes further on into many of the situations we see today somebody is dealing with immorality in their lives and we just say well that's just an identity issue somebody is dealing with behaviors and sins of the soul and they just call that a mental health issue Sometimes you have children and they have behavioral issues and we just label it ADD, adult discipline deficiency. Sometimes we'll go along and somebody has a condition and somebody has a a, a situation they're dealing with. We we talk about addictions and we say, well, it's not their fault. They are the victim. There are so many things that you and I behave our way into and then we're looking for a label or a diagnosis to excuse away our responsibility in the circumstance. Sometimes the best thing we can do is repent and confess before God. Now, are there conditions? Absolutely, there are conditions. Are there mental health conditions? Absolutely, there's mental health conditions. But brothers and sisters, by and large, it is being abused so that people can reject responsibility. But, But make sure you understand that changing the description does not change the action. And brothers and sisters, so many times we reject responsibility before God and we say, I'm not that bad or I'm better than I think I am or someone's worse off than me and sin will deceive us to cause us to not accept the responsibility that we have before God. So Saul is looking at Samuel and he's saying, Oh, Samuel, it's not my fault. It's the people. I'm not responsible. They are. Well, then let's listen to verse 16. The story continues. Listen to verse 16. I don't know how it says in your English translation, mine, it, the pronunciation and the way that the, the language is written there, it goes something like this. When Samuel said to Saul, Stop! I don't know how yours puts it, mine has an exclamation point. It must be an emphasis. You can just imagine Samuel sitting there in his older years and his more advanced years and Saul is sitting there going "Oh, I did everything you told me to boss I did everything just like you said I did it I did it but these people oh these people ran amok these people ran astray these people can you just imagine Samuel looking at Saul and going stop I will tell you what the Lord has said to me this night Saul stopped said speak verse 17 and Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, you are not the head. Are you not the heads the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go devote to destruction of the sinners the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of the, um, king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil sheep and oxen and the best of the things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord, your God, in Gilgal. So as Samuel is confronting Saul, Saul gets defensive to Samuel and go, no, 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 no. I did do what God told me to do. And you might be sitting here and you might be saying, well, why is the Amalekites such the bad guy? Why does God have it out for the Amalekites? Well, if you were to go back in your Bible to Exodus chapter 17, you would understand where this stems from. In Exodus chapter 17, God is bringing his people out of bondage in Egypt. They're on their way to Mount Sinai to receive the law. And on their way, on their travelings, it says in Exodus chapter 17, and starting in verse 8, it says, when Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. So this nation of Amalek came up To try to destroy the people of God. To try to destroy the Israelites. And that is when you had the battle. Where Joshua is down there in the valley. And he's fighting against them. As Moses is up on the hill. Remember the Sunday school story? Moses is sitting there. And as long as he would raise his hands up. The people of God would win. And as soon as they drop his hands. The people of God would start losing. And so he had his hands up and he got so tired he couldn't keep his hands up any longer. And then he had the, the two other men standing beside him holding his hands up. And then they got tired of holding their hands up. So they took rocks and put them underneath his arms to keep his, keep his hands up until the people were victorious. But that is the battle that then prompted God in Exodus 17 and verse 14 to say this. "Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in the book and recite it in the ears of Joshua. That I'll utterly blot out the memory of Amalek. From under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it. The Lord is my banner. Saying a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So what is taking place here in 1 Samuel 15. Is God is just doing what God said he was going to do. He is just using Saul and the people as an instrument. Of bringing about justice upon Amalek. So that is why God is telling him what he's doing. But instead of Saul doing what God tells him to do, fulfilling the purpose and the plan of God, Saul, deceived by sin, begins to listen to a voice that isn't God's. In other words, what sin will do in its deception, it will imitate the voice of God. The danger of sin, the danger of sin in our lives is it imitates the voice of God. Where do you get that from, Spence? Well, if you're there in 1 Samuel 15, listen, Samuel had already asked Saul, Saul, why didn't you do it? And Saul said, I did do it. Well, then Samuel, the second time, says, no, why did you not do that? And in verse 19, Saul is emphatic. Sorry, sorry verse 20. And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Saul was convinced that he had done what God had told him to do. He was convinced that he had done exactly what God had told him to do. You ever had those people in your life that were just convinced they were doing exactly what God told them to do? Problem is, is that what they were doing was in contradiction to God's word. We have that, don't we? We'll listen to someone on the radio, listen to someone on the television, you'll read something in a book. A friend will tell you something and it'll make sense, and it'll be like something that you kind of take on and you kind of think is a good idea, but then somebody says, well, why are you doing that? It's not biblical. Well, yeah, it sounds biblical and I like the idea, but, well, the danger is we start listening to things that imitate the voice of God. Why is it so paramount that you and I know God's word? Because God's word tells us that there are heretical voices, there are wolves in sheep's clothing that are trying to infiltrate the church and they will sound like church, they will sound like Bible, they will sound like things that God may have said, but the reality is, is they are in opposition to God's word. And you only know the difference if you know God's word. So what Saul was doing is Saul was listening to the imitations in his life. He was listening to the things in his life that sounded right but weren't right. Now, why do you get that, Spence? Well, what was Saul's motivation? Saul gives his motivation there in verse 21. He says, but the people took of the spoil, the sheep, and the and the best things, the vote of destruction, to sacrifice the Lord your God in Gilgal. He is saying, Samuel, the reason why we did this is we want to sacrifice to God. Isn't that a good thing? It may be a good thing, but it may not be the thing that God is telling them to do. Sometimes in your life, you show up for church and that's a good thing. But maybe God wants you to do something about the sin that you brought to church with you. Maybe God wants you to do something with the selfishness that you take out of church with you. Maybe God wants you to do something with the behavioral issue that you had before you started reading His Word and you had after you started reading Word. Maybe God wants your heart And not your presence. Maybe God wants your obedience and not your show. Maybe God wants you to listen to Him instead of listening to yourself. See, Saul was listening to the wrong voice. He was listening to the voice of himself. He was listening to the voice of the people. He was listening to the voice of what people had done before him. And he wasn't listening to the voice of God. It was not a communication problem. Saul was very clear when Samuel said to Saul, 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 I want you to go and destroy the Amalekites. Samuel was very clear. God was very clear to Samuel. Samuel was very clear to Saul. It was not a resource problem. Samuel, or Saul, had the troops. He had the ability. He had all of the instruments he needed to do what God had told him to do. It wasn't a communication problem. It wasn't a resource problem. It was a heart problem. Many times we listen to voices that aren't from God because our heart is not tuned to God. And even more than that, the danger is a lot of times we don't know what the voice of God sounds like. Once upon a time, and some of you pump people don't have any clue of this, once upon a time you had the dial, the rotary phones. I realize that some of you in the room, you remember back even further than that with the can and the string. I got it, okay? Good for you. But. Once upon a time, you had the rotary phones. And so you would sit there and you would find that for it. You would roll it around to where it stopped. And then you would let it go and it go back. And then you'd roll it around and go back and forth and go back and forth to dial the number. And that was back before the day you had caller ID. That was back before the day someone could look and say who was calling and they could either answer it or not answer. So it was always a surprise. Who is calling me? And so in our household growing up, we were always taught that when the phone ring, you would always answer it. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. This is the McConnell household. Spence is speaking. How may I help you? Because my parents wanted to make sure that if someone was calling the house, they would know who they were calling, who they were speaking to, and they wanted to have a certain amount of mature response on the other end. Nowadays, we're living in a day that everybody has caller ID and everybody just goes with it. But we're living in a day and age that a lot of times people will call and somebody will answer the phone. I had a boss one time that you would call him or he would call you. I would answer the phone. Yes, sir. Hey. That is not a phrase, a complete sentence. That is not a thought. That is not a question. That is not a statement. That is a word. And I'm like, hey, what? I mean, what do what you, hey. And I just sit there and be quiet. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Are you going to talk? I mean, you call me. Or you'll have people today that will call you on the phone and they'll just start talking. Like you, they assume that you know who they are. Sometimes you call me and I answer the phone. And if I don't recognize the number, if I'm not sure who's calling me, I'll just answer the phone and say, this is Spence. Because I want you to know who you're calling to and who you're talking to. But how often do we just call people? We assume they know who we are. They assume they know uh, that they are going to know our voice. They assume that we've already got all the introductions out of the way. And we can just keep on going with the conversation. And sometimes it can be tempting for us to call and to be just, I know they're going to know my voice. But how many times has somebody called you? And you're listening to the conversation. You're like, who is this? Don't look at me like that. You've done it before. Don't get don't, all don't, you know, self-righteous. But you're answering the phone and you're like, they just start talking. You're like, I should know who this person is. I'm trying to joggle. What is this person selling? I, I, what, what voice am I listening to? And so you start asking probing questions. You start trying to figure out to get a nail because they just assume you knew their voice. Especially right now in the age of all the telemarketers. And I answer the phone. This is the county sheriff's department. Click. This is Social Security Administration. Click. You know those voices. But then if Jaylene calls, I know her voice. Why? Because the amount of time I've spent with her. And the familiarity I have with her. You see, sometimes we don't know God's voice because we don't ever spend time with God. We don't know what the voice of God sounds like because we've never spent that time learning His voice. You want to know what God's voice sounds like? Open your Bible and start reading your Bible aloud open your Bible and start asking God to speak to you. There were so many things that Saul was doing. He was listening to the things that imitates the voice of God but weren't the voice of God. And that is what sin will do. It will deceive you. So Spence, how do I know if I'm following an imitation or if I'm following the voice of God? That is where you ask to line up with scripture. To scripture confirm what the voice is telling you. If I wake up tomorrow morning and The voice in my head says, you don't need to spend time with God this morning. You don't need to pray this morning. In fact, you know, you've prayed the last six days. You're good for three or four days. Man, you don't have to read the Bible every day. That's so legalistic. You don't have to abide with the Lord today. No, you ain't got to do that. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say, that's not the voice of God. But sometimes, brothers and sisters, we start listening to the wrong voices. And Saul is listening to the wrong voices. And sometimes we get deceived because we start listening to things that are imitations. Our time's almost gone. Let me give you this last one. Verse 22. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Now, why does he say that? Well, he is saying that in response to what Saul had said. Saul said, the reason why we left the king alive and the reason why we kept all the great, the best offerings is we're going to sacrifice them to God. So, hey, look, you said destroy everything. We decided we were going to edit that, that we were going uh, we to uh, make that different. And we are going to change that up because we're going to sacrifice to God. Isn't that a great thing, Samuel? So then Samuel comes back and says, Well, what is God truly glorified in? Your sacrifices or in your obedience? Behold, this is back up in the middle part of verse 22. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat. Rams. He is reminding Saul that Saul, the point is not what you're going to sacrifice to the Lord. The point is, are you being obedient to God? Anybody can show up and put on a show. Anybody can come in here, stand up, sit down, look the part, stay awake, leave out of here, look at me, oh that was a great service preacher, oh that was a great service, and go out and live a lifestyle in total depravity before God. You can do that. God is not interested in your performance. God is interested in your obedience. That is why I try to stress to you, my concern is not where you're at on a Sunday morning. My concern is, are you being faithful on a Sunday morning? Are you being faithful to the Lord? Because faithfulness is not just a matter of action or sacrifice. Faithfulness is a matter of obedience to God. So Saul says, sorry, Samuel says to Saul, verse 23, for rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. The fourth thing I want you to see is what sin will do is it will refuse to submit to God. It will refuse to submit to God. Not only will sin come in and deceive us by redefining obedience, sin will come in and deceive us by rejecting responsibility. Sin will come in and deceive us by imitating the voice of God. And then also sin will come in And deceive us by refusing to submit to God. And that's at the crutch of what Saul is trying to get at. Or Samuel is trying to get at before Saul. He is trying to say, Saul, you missed it. What God is calling you to is submission to him. Not activity before the people. What God is calling you to is obedience and faithfulness to him. Not the show that you put on in front of the people. God is not so much worried about your sacrifices as your obedience. In other words, submission is measured by obedience. Submission is not measured by how much money you give to the church. Submission is not measured by if you're a member of the church. Submission is not measured by how many Bible stories you know. Submission is not measured by how often you read a Bible. Submission is not measured by what people think about you, how many friends you have on social media, how nice of a person you are, how good of things you have done. That is not what submission is measured by. Submission is measured by are you being obedient to God? In other words, it's not a matter of boxes and action, but of faith and fruit. So Samuel's looking at Saul and saying, Saul, you've got this backwards. You think that you come and you go through the motions on week, on week, on week, and you think that's it. God wants you to be submitted to Him. So He makes this clarification. He he makes this division. Verse 22 and verse 23, He says, you've missed the point. You've missed the point in what God is really wanting from your life. And brothers and sisters, may I I just extend to us the reality that we're living in today? You can post all the sweet things you want on social media, but if your heart is not given over to God, you're just wasting your time students you can go to school and you can look the part at school and you can say all the right things at school but if you're just showing that part at school and you're not living it in your daily life you're just wasting your time parents you come to church on a Sunday morning and you have them kids in line and boy you had that face Oh, we, our family we've got it all together then you go home and your kids see a different parent at home than they did at church you're missing the point For a season of life, Jaylene and I lived in Wellston, and I was pastoring a church in Ardmore. And therefore, a short season of life, we would get up in Wellston, and we would drive to Ardmore for the Sunday morning service. (laughs) I don't know what was in that Suburban on a Sunday morning, but some of the most epic fights we've had is driving the two and a half hours from Wellston to Ardmore. And then I'd get there, and I'd be like, I'm ready to preach now, And the boys were in the vehicle the entire way and they're listening to the conversation and they get to church and they're like, oh yeah, dad's the preacher. You should have heard dad 30 minutes ago. <laughs> and I don't think I'm the only one. And that's what Samuel is saying to Saul. Samuel is saying to Saul, listen, Saul. It's not a matter of coming to church and then going up to the benefit dinner after this and then acting like the rest of the world. It's about God having you day in and day out. It's about your faithfulness. Day in and day out. And it's not about the show and it's not about the presentation you put on in here. It's about what you do in front of other people when you're not in here. A lesson that we get, a principle that we get even from the New Testament is that this obedience, it produces fruit. It doesn't produce sacrifice, it produces fruit. Let me quickly read to you out of Matthew chapter 7. And Jesus is speaking there on the Sermon of the Mount and he's looking at his disciples and, he, and he's telling those that are gathered around him. He's giving them this instruction and he says, Matthew 7 and verse... 17, Jesus says this, So every healthy tree bears good fruit, and the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. He is saying that you want to know if you're living a faithful Christian life, look at your fruit. The fruit of Saul was that he had not just partially obeyed or partially disobeyed he had said alright God this is what you want me to do I'm going to modify it I'm going to do what I want to do and now you have to accept my modified obedience and Samuel was looking at Saul and saying Saul you are refusing to submit to God and how many times do we come into the room with a partial obedience a partial disobedience we come into God and saying God I've done 80% you have to take it and God is saying that's not submission 80% is not submission. 100% is submission. So where are you at this morning? Are you in a place where the deception has creeped into your life? Has the deception come in and taken you off track this morning? as your focus and your gaze in a different place that isn't on God? I want to encourage you this morning to return back to God because every single one of us in this room needs a Savior. So how do we return back to God, Spencer? Just three quick ways and we'll be done. The first one is to know God's Word. How do I guard myself from the deception of sin? How do I guard myself from the effects of sin? How do I protect myself from everything that sin is trying to do in my life? I know God's Word. I abide with God, to use a Hayden Bryant word. I abide with God. God. I don't pass through. I don't glance. I don't just catch it on the way out the building. I abide with God. I'm talking about more than just a 30-second devotional you listen to on the way to work. I'm talking about more than just a text message that sent as a push notification that you get from some popular Christian speaker. I'm not talking about reading a a five-minute devotional and has one verse and has a little application word. I'm talking about you abiding with God. You know God's word. That way you will know when the imitation comes. You will know when the opposition comes. You will know when the world is trying to sound like God. Because if you don't know God's word, then how do you know what God's voice sounds like? And how will you know when someone that isn't God is trying to speak to you? You've got to know God's word. And never, never in your lifetime has the church been so biblically illiterate as this day. Ever. Know God's Word. Secondly, listen to God's Word. Listen to God's Word. We listen to what God has to say to us. Not only do we listen, we abide with God. We listen to His Spirit. We listen to God's voice. We listen to God, speak to us. I don't read it and then say, what does Warren Wiersbe say about this and let me listen to Warren Wiersbe's voice? I don't read it and they say, well, what does John MacArthur say? I gotta go listen to what John MacArthur... I'm not listening to those voices. I am listening to God's voice. Well, how do I know if God is speaking? When you feel beat up, <laughs> and you feel challenged, and you feel like there's room that you need to work on and things that you need to change and things you need to do, It may just be God's voice speaking to you. And it's not one of those things, well, God, you're going to have to speak up because the radio's on. God, you're going to have to speak up because my cell phone keeps dinging. God, you're going to have to speak up because these other people around me are talking really loud. No, you and I get in a point. We put away the cell phone. We put away the distractions. We turn the television off. We turn the radio off. We get ourselves, steal ourselves alone with God and say, God, speak to me. We know God's word. We listen to God's voice and we obey God's will. Why do we need a Savior? We need a Savior because we've sinned. We need a Savior because we've fallen short. We need a Savior because we are lost without Him. We need a Savior that comes and saves us. And what does it look like when we know that we've been saved by Him in our lives? are right before Him. We obey His will that where you're at this morning is that the path you're on today so many times we get deceived by sin and we start falling off in our own direction doing our own things and we get so far away that we've forgotten how far we've gotten away from the voice of God in our lives where are you at today you bow your heads with me